I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to Blighty Day Fiancé, the only reality TV recap after show podcast hosted by a... Hang on a minute. Sorry, Robbleheads. Uh, Mr. Snark is not in the building today. He is unwell and on top of that, up against it with work this week. So filling in is our one and only our nearest and dearest our fantastic and beautiful and enchanting charming producer cousin dan welcome welcome cousin dan the refractory period to have me back on is reduced hasn't it <laughs> i know i know i'm blaming mercury retrograde and um as our jewish listeners will know we are we're going right off the back of Mercury retrograde right into the new year. So uh, Shana Tova to all of our Jewish fam out there in advance. We're going to start off the season right. But today we're doing a recap. We're doing an omnibus. The double bubble. We're doing, we're doing the bubble butt that I will not forget, and I don't think Armando will be forgetting anytime soon. <laughs> that was, that was, I've never seen a man so uncomfortable, like fakely uncomfortable, and then just get <laughs> right into it. Right. Out of, out of everybody on the 90 day universe, I think that Kenny is singly the one person that I would love to go out and just kind of have like do wild shit for a weekend that you can't talk about and you know it would happen. And his choice in the bussy bar was fantastic. <laughs> well, that was one epic bussy. I mean, I. I told Robin that it was an issue with the internet and that I thought I missed something critical, but I 
needed to see that butt again and again and again. Should we start with before the 90s since we're talking about that? Beta's, yes, oh, sorry, no, yeah. they're on tow. <laughs> they're on tow and yes, because we're so bussy fixated, we'll go there. <laughs> um, Hannah is dispensed with. She is off and out with Abuelita. Um, and Kenny and Armando get to have a dad's night out. What do you think? What were your first impressions of this particular bar? It was fantastic. I, the one thing that I would say that I had to pause on was there was somebody at the bar in the background. I shit you not wearing a hard hat. And I was like, did it was this a plant? Like they were like dressed as a construction worker. And was this done as sort I of saw like a, that. an Easter egg to the village people, or <laughs> is this just what they is this just what they wear in that part of the world when they when they go to a gay bar? But um, yeah, it was the one thing that I would say about Kenny the Kenny Armando segments this time round. It was nice to see them having fun. I feel like it's been a bit overwrought, and I think that it might also like. Have, have never been through this kind of situation in a relationship before, but it was nice to see them get back to them concentrating on themselves rather than a situation. I think that when you are in a relationship and you are going through struggles or, um, you know, things like redundancy, things like that, you can start to lose each other and it feels like they've got that fun back that, made them attractive to each other in the first place. And because Kenny's Kenny's an old dog, you know, he's a salty old dog that's, you know, <laughs> as a as a gay man in his 60s, he's been through an awful lot of shit and he can now live a more comfortable life. Yeah. And I I totally agree. Um to your point about the construction the guy in the construction hat. I think that was a nod to the village people, but I, I think the if this gay bar had a theme, it would be, that's gay, right? Question mark, exclamation point. They, had, they were giving us uh, Madonna. Oh, I've got to turn off my WhatsApp. Thank you. Sorry about that. One the murals second. on the wall. It was a very... It was very um homo ambiguous because there were definitely some straights on that wall and i don't know whether they were actually obviously i'm coming at it from sort of like british queer culture but there was definitely a couple of murals on that wall where i'm like they're not gay unless they're telling us something that we don't know maybe they've got the tea but <laughs> well i can see i can see putting madonna on there who isn't gay herself but is An understood to be a gay icon um obviously freddie mercury never came out because he was a massive self-hating homophobe um but it it, it was a bit of yeah it sort of felt like very inclusive, obviously, and very warm and welcoming, but kind of 
maybe the owners aren't gay themselves and they were like do we need to put like should we put a picture of judy garland and a rainbow or is that redundant you're basically saying it was two heterosexual bikers that saw the pink pound and then pink washed their bar because that that would put certainly track <laughs> yeah okay. yeah i think so it's this it's probably um the same sort of people who chose flamenco music for a scene that's set in mexico um flamenco is not mexican it's spanish in all seriousness i think it was really nice to see them actually enjoy each other and i have said this before but i i worry that the reason armando wants to have another child is not a good reason to have another child and i'm worried that maybe now that hannah is older and more independent, Armando's more thinking, like, well, shit, if she doesn't need me anymore, then I have to focus on myself and decide what I want to do with my life. And I would, my advice to Armando would be, if that's where you are, a child is not going to fix it, that it's only going to kick the problem down the road another five or six years. And at some point, you are just going to have to figure that out i think that that's a fair enough point but i also think that a lot of the time vector of heteronormativity plays into a lot of queer and gay relationships even though you're you're having what society would or you know historically would consider to be a non-conventional relationship there is a will and a desire for you to have a normal relationship as possible and that includes having a nuclear family especially in sort of a country that is very religious you know catholicism is a, a big part of mexico and that's always going to play a part in it whether you are a catholic and whether you have a a, a relationship with somebody that is that fits within those boundaries you're going to want to try and stuff yourself in as much as possible. And speaking of stuffing yourself in as much as possible, every sperm is sacred. Every sperm is great. If a sperm gets wasted. I think I've gone past the 32nd point where we don't get in trouble for royalties, but that's a, that is an allusion to Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Which is a very strange film. Do you remember that film? film? It's a very strange film. It, it kind of has this very non-linear path to it. It's kind of like an extended, really obscene version of the original Monty Python series, which had the famous Mr. Creosote scene, which is foul, <laughs> genuinely upsetting. Yeah. yeah. Though, you know, like if you're at a buffet, have you even been to a buffet if somebody doesn't go just one tiny wafer thin mint? Right. It's it's so deep in my subconscious. 
I think all of, I mean, when I think about a lot of my interior monologue is directed by Terry Gilliam, I think that same, um, cartoonish aesthetic, but also Brazil. <laughs> I've never seen Brazil. Have um, you not? No, but it's supposed to be very good. I fully intend on watching it at some point. 12 Monkeys was excellent. Yeah, I forgot Terry Gilliam directed that. Yeah. But speaking of Uncanny Valley, let's talk about Shekinah. Now, look, <clears throat> I know that um, I can I can be a little uh, deliberate in my pace. My Yankee twang, my mid-Atlantic, transatlantic twang is off-putting to some. I have never heard vocal fry this bad. Even the Kardashians have kind of improved their to camera her family her fa pattern so and cadence you know those like um those really weird plastic surgery obsessed twins and i think they're trying to look like brad pitt maybe i think that might or they're trying to look like a particular celebrity i can't the name completely escapes me but she kind of and her family are basically trying to be like <laughs> the kardashians right but like not i don't know where chris fits in on it but they they are definitely we were looking at it, it's like they're trying to emulate this sort of like americano armenian accent and where the they're do, trying to do balenciaga on like balenciaga on a bloomingdale's budget yeah, but Bloomingdale's really is really posh. That's is the it? problem. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, like you could probably buy <laughs> yeah. Dress barn maybe. Is that um or the buckle if you live in the south. Uh anyway, I yeah. I dissociated during this. I'm not I can't I'm neutral on the Kardashians. I've never seen a full episode. I've only ever watched it on a plane or like at the dentist's office. So I've never seen a full episode. It's it's not captured my imagination, but I appreciate their cultural significance. And I understand that to many of our listeners, they're a big part of the the reality TV universal fabric. So um, I, I'm not meaning to compare them unfavorably. I, I guess I just don't really understand who this is for. Like, even the dog has a human face. Like, even the dog's face is not the face of a dog. <laughs> so... Like I yeah I get into it. just tangentially I um know somebody that owns a poodle and I don't trust the poodle because it walks <laughs> upstairs like a human it's 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 put its um feet move independently of each other rather than sort of like bounding up like a normal dog it just sort of like <gasps> takes each step as it comes it's really fucking weird and I don't trust it. <laughs> 
it's it's creepy, right? That dog mm-hmm. had a human face. Yeah. Or has a human face. Um so look, Shariah Shariah's asking all the right questions uh that one might expect a family would ask of this relationship. And I just this whole segment felt so ridiculous. I felt more intrigued by Shekinah's story when she was meeting with her dad slash ex-husband because that made sense to me that tracked to me that she had or I guess they were never married um but that she had her first significant relationship she went from the Amish upbringing to being in a relationship with someone who I think for all intents and purposes was like, I can show you the world, you know? And like, that was her understanding of the world and her core values probably were honed more by um, Giancarlo or whatever his name was than even by her own parents. She does give um, that sort of survived occult energy or survived a period of captivity for a protracted amount of time because she's gone from a very simple life to wanting everything. And then the relationship with her daughter is interesting. Again, this is just, this is so completely alien to me more than any other kind of relationship that's on this show because i i don't i don't have that kind of relationship with my mother i don't have like a sister mother um and that's not my relationship with my child either like i'm not i'm not the fun parent so i don't get it and it it was sort of it was painful watching her daughter get in the car and say, um, so I heard the conversation that you guys were having and my opinion has changed because I just think that if any guy says that he's the alpha in a relationship, that would make me barb. And I just think, I've seen my mom's relationships and I'm just really um worried that she is making a mistake and I just yeah I I mean anybody I don't get it and I don't get what anybody that says that they are the alpha in a relationship one definitely isn't the alpha and two has a ti- <laughs> has a tiny penis made even smaller by the human growth hormone that they are jacking into their body. What do you? Th- what's your take on Sarper? Because Sarper is another gentleman that I look at, and I just think I don't, I don't, um, I don't know who that is for. I remember. I, I- I remember seeing Who a, likes that? I remember seeing a documentary, I think it was on Vice, and it was a guy that had like giant biceps. And it got to the point where he was injecting 
steroids directly into his muscles. And he would say that when he went into a nightclub, he wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the women coming up to him. It would be the other gym bros in there that would want to talk to him about his T-cycle and his workout regime and his, his fucking macro um, nutrition and, you know, all this kind of stuff. He is sort of like, I, I think he's a walking meme. Like, he looks ridiculous. He says things like, if I could see me last year, I would laugh out of my ass. And it's like, well, no, that's protein farts. That isn't laughing, that's farting. <laughs> and I just, like I, like, I know that there's a language barrier involved, but, like... <sighs> I don't see the, the the these are the type of people I find it really difficult to kind of relate to and by extension engage with on the show because like if I I like to be able to think I can go and sit down with somebody and I have the ability to have a conversation with pretty much everybody. With Serpa, I think I'm going to jangle my keys in front of him and get a synaptic response, and that's about it. Like, there's very little going on there. I think that Serpa is beyond even G.I. Joe or an action figure, whatever. First of all, I don't believe that that body is in any way natural. Absolutely um, not. Or even built up with steroids. Like I think at a minimum he's got calf implants and pec implants. I don't think any of that is real. Like you can't look like that from working out. It's impossible. And the way his eyes move and the way his head moves, it's just he looks animatronic. It doesn't even look like good AI. It's the roids. And that could just... <laughs> yeah. It is it is the strangest thing I've ever seen. I know typically, you know, we strive on this podcast not to criticize the... What do you call them? Well, the cast members based on their appearance, but these are appearances that have come from behaviors right and behavioral patterns but but not only that he um, is so devoid of character the only thing that you can talk about oh is sure looks. yeah because if like you were to go into his brain you would just hear a dial tone there is nothing else going on in there. <laughs> i don't think you would even hear a dial tone because a dial tone implies like that could take on some kind of engagement. I think it would more be like this number was disconnected in 2003. It'll be really, I don't think we'll get, we'll gain a lot from seeing them together either because they are both so hyper aware that they're being filmed and every, like she's one of those people that, that flicks her hair like that. Like, she won't tuck her hair behind. She'll flip it. it. Just every move is so calculated. It's it's a little bit like 
Tion from 90 Day UK, where she's always looking at the camera out of the side of her face, you know, constantly. It's just, just yeah. I, I don't just, get it. I don't understand it. I mean, there must be some sort of attraction, affection there, because I also don't know what any benefit to her going to Turkey would be either, unless she unless she wants to be a budget flexor, because obviously the Turkish lira exchange rates incredibly well. So you can live out there like a king if you've got like a trust that's kind of dispensing money left, right and center. You don't have to worry about anything. Your money's going to go a long way. But would you really pack it all up to go and live in Turkey with Sarpa who like, I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, then fair enough. But he, he, he just looks like, he looks like the Giga Chad me. That's basically what he looks like. The <laughs> sort of, you know, kind of like the embodiment of sort of the incel face maxing, body maxing yep. kind of like, look, this is, he's trying to be sort of like the incel king, which might work well for him because like everybody, he's, he's talking about like getting like laid all the time. But I don't, I'm not Which I it. don't believe for no. a second. He is sort of the inverse to the fuckboy with the mattress on the floor and the broken TV in the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's only because he's going round to their house and the people that he's sleeping with have a nice apartment. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think... And I'm happy for all that to be cut out, but I, I don't, I think his relationships such as they are, are transactional to the degree that they are based on. I don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. I will sleep with this man or woman or however anyone identifies in exchange for not having to go home to my flat share <laughs> it's interesting that he hasn't attempted to go over to the u.s unless there is suspect reasons why so anything within his past that might make it not conducive for the u.s to allow him entry into the country i think that's a fascinating point I that could certainly be possible. Um, I mean, a lot of juice heads are that way because they're coming off of other drugs or less, I guess, socially acceptable drugs, and that's where they put all of that energy into. They trade one um, addiction for another rather than go to therapy yeah. to sort out the root cause of the addiction. Yeah. I think in his case, it might be more that he is aware that there are people who are doing what he does better and more efficiently for less money than what he's doing in Turkey. And much like how Mary of Mary and Brandan had the best years of her life in high school 
and wants to live that way, live that mean girl Regina George life forever, frozen in time. I think Sarper, if he moved and he wasn't the only game in town or the best game in town, um, then that would be devastating for him. So small town On king, a... basically. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Um, all right. I think we should talk about Kimberly and TJ. Uh. The two for two, I want to, I want to give Kimberly it with both barrels. She, so if you were to take a, a Western American white woman, and give her the blueprint on how not to fuck up cultural sensitivities, she is it. She is entitled. She is flexing in a country where the wealth gap is probably one of the highest in the world. And I mean that in terms mm-hmm. of sort of like wealth gap between rich and poor, you know, where, where a slum is a, is a, has a postal address levels of poverty and right, she's right. walking around complaining about things. She isn't being culturally sensitive and it seems to me that like with the big argument that happened she burnt through that goodwill because she was saying well i worn these jeans before and it wasn't a problem yeah it wasn't a problem because you weren't causing a problem then they're now really upset and they're going to pick pick up everything pick up on everything that you're doing because you're being a disrespectful little shit. That's the only way that I can put it. I I agree with you that her I I agree on all of those points. I would add to that that something happened in this episode that changed the way that I see her. It was the moment where she was waiting for her stepmom and her dad to come back down from their room, and she was sitting in the chair in the lobby, and she had this kind of faraway look in her eyes, and she was really tearful. And for that brief moment, I could see the vulnerable little girl whose mother abandoned her, and who has probably dreamed her entire life about marrying into a family or creating a family of her own where she isn't made to feel like she's unwanted and she doesn't get any attention. None of this is a a justification for her behavior because I think her behavior is appalling. And I also think that she wants to, I'll tell you what, I think she has already drunkenly made out with the brother. I think that's where 90% of this conflict has come from. If they haven't slept together, the sexual chemistry between her and Yash is explosive. I've never, I have rarely seen two people on this show who where the sparks are flying and the sexual 
energy is that thick. This is, I could watch just this family in isolation for the entire episode. I think they're fascinating. They are like the Jaipur, they're Jaipur's answer to a Tennessee Williams play. There's so much happening underneath and and it's not that we haven't seen this before it's not like we haven't seen other um indian households but you have sumit's family who are very direct and make no effort to disguise how they feel right mother sumit is just on a tear she's at she's operating at 11 99 nine percent of the time the rest of the time she's doing that like nose uvula flossing and uh you know has got her ankles behind her head with all the stretching and flexing and i get that if i was if i was as permanently mad as sumit's mom i would need to do yoga all day long and all night strong yeah jen and rishi yeah the older yes the older woman with the Jerry Halliwell highlights. Yes. 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 Or if you prefer, um, hearken, hearken your elderly millennial minds back to X-Men, the animated series. Yes. And Rogue had hair like that. And, uh, and your, your hostess today might have had that hairstyle at one point. No comment. No further questions at this time rather um yeah so rishi's family were very polite and very staid but privately said look this is ridiculous this is not going to work right and here we have a unique combination of they have conversations in front of her about her that are extremely heated and we have Obviously, Yash is the, to my understanding, the only other family member besides TJ who can speak English or communicate effectively in English. And they, it, the drama is constant. It, it's like, I think it's Robert McKee wrote a book called Story, about mostly about screenwriting. And he talks about how the conflict in each scene in a film or a TV show, if you're writing a drama, it should start, it should either start on a high or end on, and end on a low, or it should end on a low and go to a high, but there's always like an interchange, right? It's always plus minus. And with these, it's like you settle the argument with your mother, but then the, but then the conflict with the brothers gets ratcheted up and then that gets resolved. And then the conflict with Kimberly gets ratcheted up. And it's it's nonstop, and it's, I don't disagree that that would be tough to live in. The, I mean, the thing is that you've got TJ in the middle of it, <clears throat> and it's <clears throat> it's a constant state of conflict, and nothing is getting resolved. And also, nobody seems to be coming to the table to go to to even make concessions on it it's just a high conflict environment which i think ultimately we'll see what happens when tj's in the 
same situation next week because that's coming up. We've got dinner with Kimberly's mom and dad that they trailed. And it's going to be interesting to see if Kimberly enacts some form of schadenfreude in which she kind of goes, right, bastard, I had it from your family for the past week and a half, so now you're going to get it from my folks. It'll be interesting, won't it? Because on, on the one hand, it's really nice and I don't think we we so rarely get this. We got this with with Ariella and Binyam because her mother was able to express things in a way that wasn't shaming the other culture. She was able to express concerns without, you know, making making Binyam feel ashamed. Um, and I like that Kimberly's stepmom is excited to be there and, you know, she's pointing out all the cows around her and she seems genuinely interested in a culture that's outside of the U.S., which this is one of those things that we shouldn't be grateful for as viewers because that's how people ought to behave all the time. But because it so frequently happens that there's this immediate uh either british colonialist or american exceptionalist nationalist attitude that you know anywhere else in the world is inferior for some reason or another and like we're here to just suffer through it for five minutes because someone we love wants us to right this felt like a very different experience now Kimberly, of course, does the worst thing possible for TJ and gives her family an entirely one-sided account of how awful TJ and his family are. So he, she's already kind of, you know, getting them fired up for that and prepared for that. And And then she says, but I'm still marrying the love of my life and he and I don't have any issues. I think to a degree that's kind of true. I think that she is squarely putting their problems and I'm I'm saying that's true in her head. She doesn't think she's done true anything wrong. True for her, sure. Yeah, it's yeah. her truth is that she doesn't think she's done anything wrong. She doesn't think that she has to concede to certain cooking customs that are um, you know, for religious reasons, she feels like she doesn't have to dress, you know, she doesn't have to have her legs covered. I was going to say modest, but, you know, I don't think, I don't, she isn't out there looking hoochie. She's just wearing ripped jeans, <laughs> but she's in a situation where in within that culture, that's not entirely respectful. But then again, if I was taking if I was taking my daughter out to the pub and her nan was there and she turned up in boob tubes and a ripped jeans, then I'd have a problem with it as well. So maybe I'm the socially conservative one as well. I don't know. But it's 
it's one of those where she she is not finding any fault in her own behavior and i hope that she looks back on this episode of her life in a rocking chair smoking a slim menthol cigarette at the age of 85 <laughs> and going you know what i was a fucking arsehole like I think you mean at the age of 35. Yeah, maybe. At the Hopefully. rate she's going. Yeah. I don't I I think uh man, her her guides, her spirit guides are leading her in some interesting directions. I've been thinking a lot about that too, and I just everything that she says makes so much sense and ever and all of her behaviors make so much sense given her childhood trauma including and i'm not saying i'm not questioning her own experience of her own spirituality i'm just saying when there's no room for you in your family because there's so many other kids and you feel that sense of rejection what better way to feel included and loved and guided and supported than by hearing the voices of spirit guides and angels right it's it's so textbook and and i do feel bad for her in that regard um her father says that she shouldn't have to forgo her individuality for the sake of preserving the relationship. What do you think about that in this particular context? I mean, I agree that, I mean, I agree that one should never relinquish your own individuality. But the thing is, is that relationships are a partnership and there are concessions that you ultimately have to make, especially when you're in, a country where the customs and cultures are so different. I'll say what I'll say to Kimberly, what, what I say to every single cast member of 90 day fiance, don't travel halfway across the world. Just go to fucking therapy. Like it's a lot of, a lot of it is down to what you're running away from and why are you, behaving like that why are you like this like it's yeah a lot, of the t a lot of the time the the answer if they were honest with themselves wasn't that the family were being rude it's this is going to look really bad for tv so i can't say it, but you know what it's childhood trauma <laughs> i i wonder if any of that is even no it's i don't think she's anywhere near there but i think Back to what Kimberly's father said, I think that when you are marrying into a culture that is centered around family and community, and if you want to talk about the wider concept philosophically, ethically, spiritually, religiously, socially, centered around the collective and not the individual, right? And she's moving from a culture that's centered around the individual into one that's centered around the collective. I don't think you get to, I don't think you do get to keep your individuality, not 
not the parts of your individuality that require sacrifice and fitting in and showing respect. I think I it that comment made me think that he also has absolutely no idea what this marriage really means. Because she isn't just it the marriage is not between her and TJ by necessity. The marriage is between her and TJ and his family. Um, but I hope now that she's. I mean, if you look at, if you look at sort of religious, if you look at sort of like Hinduism, um, the whole ceremony is centered around the giving away of the, the giving away of the daughter to the, the, not only the husband or the you know the the son of the within the within the family but also the envelopment of them into that family as well they effectively become part of the husband's family so mm-hmm. that's a, this is this is always going to be the sort of friction that can sometimes occur within sort of a religious household that does, you know, that will be multi-generational, will follow their religion, that has a high regard for the elders of that family. This could, I mean, we, I mean, the thing is that in sort of like the decadent West that we live in, we treat our old folks in pretty despicable ways we kind of we are in the habit of putting them in a home and leaving them to rot and that isn't something that i'd ever going to do myself but it happens more often than not if you were to go to somewhere like india or japan or anywhere like that where they have a deep-rooted respect for the elderly and multi-generational households are the norm rather than the exception. They think that the way that we treat our old people is fairly barbaric. I couldn't agree more. And I don't, I think this is a barrier that is not, um, I don't think that it's something that can be overcome no for I, these two because I think I don't think I I am starting to think that this wedding isn't happening. Um I think so too. And if it doesn't and if it does happen I think it's going to be short-lived. I Okay, so I think the difference between Jenny and Kimberly is that Jenny is wanting nothing more than to be accepted and to be brought into the family and to be accepted by them. Whereas conversely, with the way that Kimberly behaves, I don't think she gives a shit about the rest of that family. Or she does but she isn't willing to do the work and make the concessions that she needs to do 
win in that kind of situation? I still get the most ridiculous dopamine hits off of a moment that lives rent-free in my head, which is the last week's episode or the previous week's episode where um, the mum says to the dad, you know, something to the, he sort of like starts to say something and she's like, don't, not now, not you, don't you get involved. I was living for that moment. It was when and she was it, kicking it off was, about the it, holes in the jeans. And then yeah. and then the dad basically said, like, I'm paraphrasing, like, she's dressed like a fucking whore. And then she's like, no, you keep it the fuck down. And like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. You could tell that poor man. I mean, in some ways, this is filmed like a single camera mockumentary and every time i see the dad i think about that he stares at the camera you see him like sort of to the far left of a shot like he's in the kitchen staring at the camera and the camera will go to him he's petting the cow he was doing it he was doing it as kimberly was leaving <laughs> he was <laughs> Oh, I'm not man. sure. I'm not um, sure if you can. I'm not sure if you can remember, but in the original British version of The Office, every so often, and I think they did it to basically remind everybody that this was designed to be sort of a mockumentary. Because I think a lot of the time people forget the reason why David Brent's an idiot is because he's playing it up for the camera. A lot of people right. seem to forget that. That's the only reason that David Brent isn't the worst character ever. Um, the second reason why is because David Bryant's played by that prick Ricky Gervais. But the, the going back to the point is that they put a cleaner in who would just stand and stare, I remember and it that. would, and then everybody else would be like, "What? What's he looking at?" And it was it, it it would kind of it would be a reminder that this is a fly on the wall, supposed to be a fly on the wall documentary, and it isn't just a sitcom. And it's because they needed to have uh, Dave, a device that David Brent could be a wanker justifiably rather than just being a wanker. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
go quickly to Danielle and Johan. Now, this was funny to me because Danielle's face was telling us that this was a very unpleasant surprise, but she tells us to camera that this was all her idea and she's always wanted a translator. But the way that I read this situation was not how she portrayed it, which is like, oh, haha, I thought you were trying to like get another woman in for a threesome. I think her face in that moment was, oh my God, I can't put him down. I can't treat him like shit because somebody is going to hear the way that I talk to him and actually understand. And I think I'm going to give Johan credit perhaps where it isn't due, but I think that he knows that too. I think he's well aware that she's not misunderstanding him. She's I mean, just putting him down. I mean, she can, she can um, speak in Johan's native tongue well enough to tell him that he thinks that the um, way that they rear children in their country is terrible. So that to me would say that she's got a fairly good grasp of of of, of the native language. Just yeah, I. She is someone. She has a severe allergy to accountability of any kind, mm. because you'll you'll notice she never said. She never says anything like it wasn't I I didn't mean to make you feel that way or I didn't mean to put your family down. It's it. She always frames it in the beginning, at least, as you misunderstood. Yeah. Right. You misheard what I said or you took it out of context or whatever. I have to say, though, if this was my first and only encounter with her, I wouldn't hate her with a fire of a thousand suns i don't even hate her that's that's giving her too much significance i hate what she is doing but she came off quite sympathetic in this episode i thought i mean i so i've not really i'm really struggled to engage with their their story um i just I don't know. I think that I just I, I find them both like I find their relationship not not as individual people. I find it fairly dull. It seems to we're not getting anything that I would say is like and this might be down to the, the manner in which they're talking to each other, but we're not getting sort of like that big kind of momentous kind of things coming to a head explosive it seems to be that there's a lot of either oh you're misunderstanding or just sort of trying to make a point getting 95 percent of the way and then it just tailing off like it's sort of like it then fragments into nothing and then nothing seems to get resolved i i think this is just going to fizzle out into kind of nothing in a not particularly spectacular way You really think she's going to go down without a fight? Or it's going or, to take the Or do entire... you think it's already over? I don't know. I think 
if anything's going to happen, I think that she's she's going to go down without a fight. But I think it might happen off camera. I think she's quite. I think she's very aware. Of, ah. I, think, I think we're either that or tell all one of the. Two, I just, I don't know. I can't. With the way that they're talking, the way that they're framing it, it seems to be sort of like very much cruise control conflict. We're not getting kind of any massive bursts of acceleration. We're also not getting any apologies either. That's a good way to put it. I did feel for her about it, if it's true and if she's being sincere in that moment, you know, obviously anybody who has gone through fertility problems or any kind of issues with, with their body full stop. Um, but I think fertility is, is maybe the most common. It's something that, that people with uteri uteruses, the uterati deeply personalize and take on themselves but I'm very cynical when it comes to Danielle and I think that I was expecting this from her I just was I was expecting it a lot sooner I I knew that she would use the fertility issue as a shield to protect herself from the terrible edit that she got last year and um I know that's terrible and I know it sounds terrible, but I think it's terrible to use that as a defense for being an asshole. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that like bad things happen to good people and bad things also happen to bad people and differentiate between a good person, a bad person is weaponizing that bad thing and using it as a, tool to manipulate a situation you always put things so succinctly and memorably i love that about you it's one one of quite a few things i appreciate about you um i believe we only have wayne and holly left this was one of those a little bit of everybody family style episodes so they're two days out from their wedding um, I thought Jehovah's Wit. No, of course Jehovah's Witnesses drink. I was just thinking. I've been, I've had drinks with Jehovah's Witnesses. I just a pina colada <laughs> before dinner. It's it's not an aperitif. It's <laughs> no. I mean, like, but then again. Do we drink shame? Is this a drink shame? Like, because normally, <laughs> like, normally I'm more like a Negroni, or you know, if I'm feeling like a basic bitch and old fashioned, right? That's like <laughs> kind of what you go for. Never, ever have an apérol spritz because, like, I'd never. If I'm sitting down and wanting to eat a meal, right? The last thing that I want is a giant orange bowl of fucking italian sugar and prosecco like to drink beforehand like i don't see what the benefit is the marketing is phenomenal because 
that's all everybody drinks nowadays. I love an Aperol spritz in the summer, or some, sometimes I'll do a Christmas version, but not never as an aperitif, never before I'm about to eat a meal. No. Because as you say, it's a, it's a giant bowl of sugar. Um, a, rum before dinner, but apparently he, you know, he can't afford the dinner. So maybe that's not what they're there for. She also strikes me as someone who, and this is taking it way back, but do you remember the scene? <laughs> do, do you remember the scene in the breakfast club where Ali Sheedy is basically like putting pixie sticks between, or like powdered sugar between two, two slices of bread slices of bread yeah. and potato chip i think that's i think that's holly's life i think that's probably what she eats this also feels like a cruise control conflict for me because this is not new information we already knew this we knew that he was broke um if i'm feeling generous and i'm feeling nice I, I do think he deserves some of or a lot of her respect for being vulnerable enough to talk about something that clearly is such a huge source of shame for him and such a difficult thing for him to talk about. Um could they have had this conversation before she came over? Yes. But I say this every week and I'm loath to repeat myself, but, but here I am. I just don't think that this conversation is really about what they're saying it is. I don't know what they're actually talking about because him being broke has come up so many times and I feel like they've been having the same conversation forever and ever. And there's just a lot of stuff going on that we haven't seen up to this point. And I don't know, I don't know if what they're going for is a big reveal, like, Oh, you thought like a little bit like what they've done with Violet and Riley, where they've just completely thrown a grenade into the conflict that we thought we had seen a million times before and that we already knew so well, but I don't know. I've never warmed to them. I, 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 I can't make sense of it. I don't understand it. Is it the bachelor where they pretend to be sort of like a farmer and it turns out they're like 800 million pounds in the bank tech bro. Is, is that the show? Am I... No, that's Joe Millionaire. Right. So could this be a backdoor pilot of Joe Millionaire and Wayne's actually worth like a ludicrous amount of money and he's just playing the I'm broke cards to, to test to stress test the relationship. <laughs> the one thing that I would say is that she's doesn't come across as very resourceful. If I was Again, I'm kind of like looking at this from, I'm with Wayne. He's landed this piece of information on me. I love him dearly. He's a fucking idiot. We'll get through this. What do you need from me? She doesn't give any of that what do you need from me energy. She goes, you were supposed to look after me and you can't do that now. And it's not safe. 
she actually makes me feel really, really uneasy as she's not an easy watch. She's skittish. Um, her eyes dart all over the place. Yeah. Okay. I leave it. I thought I was imagining it. I, I thought I was imagining it. She's definite. Her eyes definitely go in two different directions. Don't they? They are not twins. They are sisters. They're sisters. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear that. I hear that. Okay. I think, I think that's it for toe. Thank Um, God. <laughs> Shall we move on? Can can I just say out of like all the programs that are running at the moment, Toe is singly like the hardest one to watch and it's always the last one out on the on the apps. So you kind of get through the fun of you get through the fun and sort of like British jollity of 90 Day UK and then you get 90 day before so we've got some of like our big hitters in that and then you've got the other way and it's like the sludgy third act in the final episode of game of thrones season eight every every it is yeah it is harrowing um and speaking of golden dornish royalty rosvon and Amanda, I wish I ha- I haven't been able to find the artist that I'm thinking of. When I do, I will definitely post it. But he, this man is so beautiful. I cannot stop staring at him. And and I thought in the beginning that he was you know, a fame-hungry fuckboy out for likes. What a surprise. What a pleasant surprise. What What do you think of him? Do you know what it boils down to? His mum and dad are sound and wholesome and they brought their boy upright. And he does everything right. Like, he he's... If he's playing a game, then he is playing it exceptionally well. I cannot find fault with him as a human, apart from perhaps his taste in a significant other. Absolutely. I And I totally agree with you. I think he has such a refreshingly lovely, normal, um, loving family who like you said you know raised him right and took care of him um he'd be the boy in the office that if a woman started crying he would be over there in an instant he would show empathy compassion he would be doing it without any ulterior motive to get into their pants and instantly that woman would fall in love with him (laughs) and he would be completely unavailable like that's the that's the thing is that he he doesn't just i can tell that he just doesn't act out of motive he does it out of the kindness of his heart and all men should be like razvan you are spot on there whereas 
Christian would be the guy who walks into the office and goes, Hey, where's my hug at? We can, we can, can we, can we leave Christian? Cause that's going to take a while. <laughs> yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, when I was watching him play pool, are, how familiar are you with 30 Rock? Did you watch it? Uh, no. Okay. So uh, many of our listeners have. Uh, John Hamm plays one of Tina Fey's love interests in that show. And he was my favorite guest star slash tertiary character and the joke was that (laughs) well the joke was that he was so good looking that no one had ever told him that he was bad at anything so he was a he was like a pediatric surgeon but he was totally inept and and he would go to a restaurant and he would order something that wasn't on the menu and then with a rat he would they were in you know like a michelin star restaurant and he was like yeah and i'll have that with a raspberry fanta um and in the in towards the end of the series he's he's so inept because again he thinks that he can do all of these things and he ends up with two hooks for hands um, and it's pretty spectacular, but I wonder if Razvan has also had that, that experience where he's so pretty that actually nobody's ever told him that he's bad at anything. <laughs> Do, are you familiar with, with John Hamm's hog? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, cause you, you... Not, not as... Not intimately, no, but you're familiar with the urban legend no. that John Ham has a humongous cock. Oh, it's not an urban legend. I mean, I've seen him in pap shots wearing very tight jeans. Yes. And yeah. unless that's a very, unless that's a very, very good, unless um, he didn't Gabe go cucumber shopping before made, that photo. Made his underwear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. No. Um, and yes, before all of you come at me, I, I know he was in a fraternity and there are some ugly allegations around that. Uh, that does oh, not no, change how not I feel about his one. penis. I didn't know about that. I don't look, I don't know. And like I said, uh, I judge, I judge the penis, not the owner of the penis okay um let's not discriminate against the ham hog for what the ham hath wrought um so amanda who is who just absolutely chills me to the bone at this stage she's like this is another super contemporary reference but she's a bit like natasha henstridge was in species right Yes, yes, yeah. 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 She kind of has that when she when Amanda goes into sex mode, I can almost see the like the skin forming on her eyes 
and then it's like she's going to blink and it's going to flick and be reptilian. It it creeps me out. She says to him, in my experience, when you ask other people for their relationship advice, it hurts the relationship. Oh, yeah. No, that was sort of, um, yeah, I was there like, oh, no, that's that's narcissistic abuser guidebook. Like she, da- <laughs> she downloaded yeah. she downloaded the Kindle edition of narcissistic abuse for dummies read it on the flight in one go, identified with the main character way too much and is now getting fully involved. So, you know, in sort of like the bits where she's sort of like looking wistfully off into the background, I keep thinking that she's looking at a school bus on fire with children trapped on it. That's that's the only time that she ever smiles is when something horrific is happening in front of her. Or... Exactly. Or she's like, uh, and I've, this is not the first time I've drawn this comparison, but she's like, um, she's like, I think it was Holly Hunter and James Spader in, um, drive, not crash drive or the David Cronenberg film in which, yes, yes, that's crash. Yeah. 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 No, not the one you're thinking of. Not the one that won the Oscar. No, not the not the not the satisfying racial moment crash. The we like to. Oh God! We, yeah, it was neoliberal trash. Um, yeah, no, David Cronenberg's crash. Super important. Um, super transgressive film. Everybody, go and see it, and then go take a shower. Um, because you're going to feel very dirty yeah. and probably slightly aroused, and that's fine. I really, do, I Robin is so is such a Cronenberg fan, and I have watched a few Cronenberg films. I sort of had to in film school, but as a general rule, if it's like, oh, this is the new David Cronenberg, I won't see it. I really don't like body horror at all um it's a very little interest to me it's it's fine for some people and i totally get that and i respect him deeply as a filmmaker and i think he's brilliant but i my approach to cinema is let me use this as an exercise to see how uncomfortable I can make the audience I do think that's important um I just don't want to be on the receiving end of that it doesn't I I don't like it I like scary movies I like horror movies I don't like torture movies yeah the I would I would probably Um, say the only the only two Cronenberg films that I would if we're going to our audience now probably three History of Violence is really good, and it's got Viggo Mortensen in it, so you know you're gonna you're gonna enjoy that. Um, oh, I loved that film. Yeah, <laughs> The Fly because it's it's really scrungy and it's a bit putrid in places, but it is a really important film. And Crash, just because um, I think that it has a really interesting commentary on kink and 
um, fetishism and sexuality. And if you're a fucking weirdo and you're into that kind of thing, um, then you'll have a great time. It is wild to me. James Spader is somebody that I don't think there's, there's no other actor I can think of who can absolutely disgust me in one film and melt my panties in another. Yeah, I think he's he was he's basically like the James Khan of his generation in terms of sort of like how diverse he can be as a as an actor. Yeah. Um, totally. Totally. Um I yeah, I mean I think his TV work leaves a, a lot to be desired. I I understand everybody's got ex-wives to pay and children to fund and all of that, but um film-wise I think he's kind of underrated um in terms of his versatility and god was he beautiful when he was younger. Holy crap. Um Secretary's also an David excellent and... film. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking of, obviously. What I was as soon as you said kink, I was like, oh, secretary. Yeah. yeah. Um so David and Sheila, I'm not gonna lie, cousin Dan, I wasn't really uh tuned in much to this segment. Um I think because I almost immediately was in a place of of thinking about how utterly miserable Sheila's life is going to be after he leaves because then her mother's death becomes real mm -hmm. and then she has to start that grieving process in earnest. I, th I think that I think the David and Sheila storyline is actually one of the more wholesome of the bunch, even though there was something that utterly tragic happened. The one thing that I <laughs> say, and I don't know if you noticed, you know, when they were coming back from the the sort of like beach getaway, there was somebody in the seat behind them, and I don't know whether it was the interpreter or it was a local, and they were just sort of like just absolutely just passed out in the back in the most spectacular <laughs> fashion possible and uh, i was like please tell me that's the interpreter and she's just so so done with the entire process that like oh. i mean in being an interpreter must be exhausting you're having to basically speak for two people so you're at, in a conversation where you're not involved you are communicating the most which must be a I want to shout out uh, and celebrate court interpreters everywhere because the work that you do is so, so important and so critical and so vital, especially in um, what I call the uh, the no-budget triumvirate of family law um, immigration law and criminal law uh that are so horrifically underserved and um i have been through many a difficult situation 
and court interpreters just take all they like you say they're in the middle of it and they're doing the most communication and they take so much more emotional shrapnel than even i do so huge respect to all of you who are court interpreters that is not easy work but david sheila it's i mean it's all panned out well i think that um john reels watched a couple of shows on netflix and is now going to be an ameribu and will go there with full gusto <laughs> well we would hope but oh one of the <laughs> one of the one of the sharplings one of matt sharp's little pas definitely slipped him an iphone and a happy meal and said you are getting on that fucking plane in three months you are not fucking this up for us i mean that's that's fair enough because like if you're needing to bribe a child to get this process going i don't blame you because like the hit rate on sort of before is so laughably low at the moment that financially inducing a 10 year old is fine (laughs) Look, this is not a, uh, this was, yeah, this made me very uncomfortable. Um, I'm very sad for them that they have to spend any time apart. I have no idea how he's going to afford this. I don't know how they're going to make it work. I do wish them the best. I think they were the heart of the season. I do wonder, and and the episode that I did with Elliot, uh, um, I said this, I do wonder whether we have seen everything that there is to see from David and if he is a nice person and a kind person and a caring person, it would be horrible if he wasn't. But I I just think about the, and, and people have been watching the show for a long time. I think about the the honeymoon period that we went through as listeners with Colty in the beginning of his season and how we all just thought he was this sweet sort of what we'd call an anorak in this country just this sweet sort of like it guy who was looking after his mom and was really you know knocked it out of the park got really lucky finding larissa um i don't know why but i'm getting a little bit of that energy off of david and and please put me in my place because I, I might just be in a very um, listening to way too much uh, folklore by Taylor Swift uh, kind of phase in my life right now. But, you know, I, I want to believe. I want to believe. Um, Right, so over to Riley and Violet and the two years spent that they just can't walk away from. Um, I, I, I want to say it. I, I don't love, think... I <laughs> it's just, oh, I, me and Cousin Jordan were sat there watching it and... I think I pretty I'm pretty sure I had like teeth marks 
on my knuckles from biting them due to sort of secondary cringe. It was, and the thing, the thing that I really liked about it was that it was all planned, and he had this sort of like whole idea. So I'm going to build up to it, and he might as well have had like a like crab with a jamaican accent singing at him to kiss the girl that he met a week ago right and he's like and and then she's like no don't say it then fine see you you tomorrow like and just did that like total boss bitch thing that only women are capable of which is i'm gonna cut through your shit straight away i'm not gonna fucking like put up with it like amazing wonderful i know she's not massively popular um and I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with her myself. But I don't dislike her. I mean, I really don't feel like I have been on her side in every single argument apart mm-hmm. from apart from I I guess I would would have wanted her to validate him when he said that the comments that she made about his body and his appearance were were not okay. Yeah, but I also um, I think that that I think that speaking directly about somebody's body type in that part of the world is perhaps more permissible. Don't not saying. Oh, it's sure, right, but, but it's... I no, I I I I get you, and I don't disagree. I but I I don't think that his experience of being a black person of size, a black American person of size in that country is his anxiety about that is is mitigated by the fact that 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 was one feeling that i felt like he had the right to be yes. upset about and he had the right to to worry about i was i'm so i'm one of these people that really kind of like cannot hold a poker face and I am <laughs> brutally honest, right? So if and I've I've been on holidays with partners and they've been like, Did you have a good time? And I've been like, in all honesty, no, not really. Like we've argued from start to finish. We've bombed out the toilet one too many times because we ate some shit food. And um like you've been insufferable so i just want to go home and get in my own bed and they're both seemingly kind of like not willing to collectively own up to the fact that it has been a shit time at great personal expense i know it's so awful and great personal expense to to both of them and just exhausting because dating's fucking expensive man like and like you it, know, it like, sure is. You know that Riley's a fucking tab splitter. Like he's he's cutting it down the middle from day one, right? Which is fine. Yeah, and no problem. And if at all you've with gone that. on three dates, 
if you've gone on three dates with him, he's also going to send you an invoice yes. for for petrol, for gas money. Yeah. But it's one, it's um, one of those where, like, normally, like, my dating etiquette is generally like, oh, you... I'll get this one, you get it the next time, ha-ha. So then it's like, it leaves it, you know, kind of applying some risk to the situation. Maybe we'll see each other again. Maybe. Sure. And if, if not, then I've had a nice time. We've had come, So, you know, whatever. But. Um, no, I feel the same way. I And when I was dating... When I was younger, it was it was a little different. Um, I guess when I, anytime that I've been dating, I've almost always been a student. So, uh, and I would sort of date men who were in an age group where splitting the tab would not even occur to them. So I've I've skillfully evaded it that way. We what did, <laughs> was it was it three C's? Was it credit card, condo, <laughs> no. Cadillac? <laughs> no, no. I'll tell you what it was for me. Okay, I and and make whatever judgments you want based on this. All right, I would never date a man who wore rubber soled dress shoes i would so no doc martens if i was meeting no oh wow no no thank you Uh, if i was meeting a guy in a bar or he was chatting to me or whatever on the rare occasions that that actually happened i would i wouldn't approach a man who didn't have an expensive watch, leather-soled shoes, if they were, like, you know, just come from work, and ideally a black Amex card. <laughs> That's uh, it's a very specific type of, of man that you... Well, you say that, but I was... The last time that I was really dating, I I was just out of a relationship where I did my my ex-partner was in med school for all but 6 months of the time that we were together and I was working. So I paid for everything. And before that, I was often the person in the relationship who who paid for things or paid for more things or nicer things because I just wanted to have a nice time on holiday or I didn't want every meal out to be Nando's. I'm not turning my nose up. It's just I at, at the point that I was out of that relationship, the last relationship that I had before I was married, I just wanted to be looked after and I wanted to be taken care of. And, and I made that very clear. I, I was never, um, I was never, uh, quiet about it. So let's go right way to the other side of the world 
to Gino and Jasmine. Um, here's what I want to say. You had one job about Jasmine. Gino and Jasmine. You had one job, Jasmine. Put the fucking kill shot in and get rid of him. And she gave him exactly what he fucking wanted on her knees, crying. And then he literally left money on her dresser. Yes. She left, he left money on the nightstand. I, I feel very strongly about this and I didn't, I think a lot is lost when looking at Jasmine as the blubbering, um, sad person that we saw. If Gino can't validate her, which he never does, he argues with her pain constantly. He argues with her trauma constantly. And, and, and uh, you might say, or he might say to me, if I put that to him, if I said, Gino, you never validate Jasmine. You don't see what she's going through. You don't ever acknowledge what she has put herself through in an effort to change and contort herself into the tiny box that you want her to live in. You, you don't acknowledge it. You don't validate it. That's what she actually cares about. And why can't you fucking see that? He would, pro he would probably say, Oh no, I validate her all the time. I tell her she's allowed to have feelings. She just can't express them the way that she does. That is a different thing. That is a separate point. If he cannot acknowledge the elephant in the room that she is in an extraordinary amount of pain all the time and that all of the things that she does to make herself more attractive to him, to make herself more appealing to him, all of these entirely misguided efforts, changing her face, changing her body, putting in butt plugs, all of these things, stuff that he could not care less about. I thought the issue with them was that they didn't have the same love language. I know what it is now, and it's as clear as day. It's that he never validates her and never has. I think that the thing is, is that Jasmine is, she's an attractive woman and her existence isn't validated by Gino's existence, but Gino's existence is certainly validated by Jasmine's. That's why he committed a criminal offence in the UK when he shared those pictures, and he has never once shown any accountability or remorse for that, just paid for the problem to go away. I think that Gino, out of kind of everybody on the show, is probably the most craven of everybody. Because it's at least with at least with Ed, he knows that he's 
he's now playing a role. He is he has become the meme, and that's what he's playing it for. And you can especially see it in the new series of uh, the new series that's out, Last Resort, with Gino. It's never his fault. It's always somebody else's fault. He is completely devoid of any accountability. And he should also just lose the hat and embrace his bold king status rather than just being a, a slug wearing a cap. Um, but I, I do think that... Um... He have you also noticed, and it might just be me, when he's being shouted at or he is being confronted by, he literally looks like he's going to vomit. He does this sort of like elongated thing with his mouth, and it looks as though he's trying to stifle mm-hmm. back the acid reflux. Um yep. and that's not that's not a subconscious thing. I think that he is genuinely feeling nauseated by the confrontation and the chemicals that are running through his body because in every other aspect of his life he has an easy street he's got shitloads of money in the bank he's white so he doesn't have to worry about getting shot by the cops you know he's got all that kind of Mm -hmm. privilege going on that he doesn't afford to anybody else in his life spot i mean drag him sis seriously <laughs> like this i i was actually <laughs> i was talking to uh one of my group chats there's a a friend of mine in my group chat who is um she's using ozempic currently for weight loss and she's switching over to I don't know. I always read it because of you, Gov, right? <laughs> I I read it as like we govy, but it's oh, we we go. Go. it's spelled W E. Yeah, yeah we or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, you know, a bit tongue in cheek. I said, oh, but I, I have a, fr- a different friend who uses that. And and it's good because you get to have the benefits of Ozempic. It's exactly the same thing, but you don't get all of the shame that comes with uh, people trying to shame you for, quote unquote, stealing medication from diabetics. Um, Is that a thing? Particularly in this country, there's it. It's. I know people are really strange and, and I, I think misogyny is certainly a factor there because it's women using it, but it, it then got into a discussion about plastic surgery and other cosmetic procedures. And I said, well, I don't trust any weight loss plan, diet, workout, anything, cosmetic procedure, nothing that my gay godfather wasn't using five or ten years ago because if he's done it and benefited from it then i then i trust it implicitly and uh one of my other friends in the group said 
like, oh, yeah, because gay guys are into how they look. And I said, nope, because many gay men have disposable incomes. They are, uh, they prioritize their health, fitness, and well-being. And they're not in relationships with straight men like Gino who know that their partners will just settle for crumbs. Right? Yeah. Because let's be real. Gino could go to seed and Jasmine would still be doing her entire diet, exercise, fitness regimen, workout routine uh, until she died. But because she will accept crumbs from Gino, that this relationship is still happening. And I hope it continues to, uh, because I will watch her do anything forever. I love her. Well, I mean, the trailer is out. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, I haven't seen it incidentally. Okay. We're going (laughs) to, we're going to spoiler it. Gino and Jasmine make an appearance. Okay. Jasmine's hair. Excellent. Serving Cunty. Fucking incredible. Absolutely amazing new trim. <laughs> incredible. Ooh. Yeah. I can't wait. Uh, we are going to have to, hopefully, Stephen from um, Coupled with Chaos, the the podcast will have some insider info. I think he saw, I think he lives, doesn't live near Gino and Jasmine, but is, is aware that they're in Michigan has seen them out and about. That's, that's how I found out where they were. I I find out most of the uh, insider information from Steven. Uh, Join our Facebook group, by the way, Blighty Day Bay's, the Blighty is spelled B-L-I-G-H-T-Y. Bays is spelled B-A-E-S. Join our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Blighty Day. Um, on our Patreon, you will not just get to ride this omnibus ad-free. You will get to ride the Fundibus, which is our sensational coverage of Plathville and Sister Wives. We're having a lot of fun over there and we can't wait for you to join us. It's five dollars, five US dollars flat to join. We don't have different tiers at the moment. If you're feeling generous, you can throw a few more shekels our way. All of said shekels will go straight into the pockets of our lovely producer and my co-host today, cousin Dan, and our social media manager, Peggy Ann. So, you know, it's all good stuff. Now that we've had that baked in ad break because i forgot to to plug all that stuff in the beginning let's go to the vegan castle statler and dempsey um of course as you know i am terribly fond of statler and i am not ashamed to say it all podcasters have favorites if they don't make that evident then um that is their choice which i respect I don't have a problem with saying that she's my favorite. Um, And this segment hit a nerve. 
but I want to hear your thoughts first, cousin Dan. So I love Statler and I love Dempsey both for fairly different reasons. Um, Dempsey, I love because I think I think that she's adorable. She's measured. She clearly enjoys her job. She enjoys traveling. She seems like an interesting person. Um, and Statler because it's basically a lesbian version of me. I see so much, or a previous version of me. I see so much of sort of like Statler's behavior in kind of the way that she's like it and i think that a lot of people go through it where they have this sort of like new relationship energy which is adorable but also if you're trying to engage in a relationship with somebody who's measured and guarded and possibly been hurt it doesn't it can put them on the back foot which is where you kind of like go on a date and then you're in the cab home and you're like oh my god this is amazing we're gonna get a farm and we're gonna have 85 kids or not 85 kids in Stellas, and we're going to like it's gonna be amazing and we're gonna sort of like do the like nuclear family thing and it's all planned out on the cab ride home and then you get the text saying I had a great time, but we ain't seen each other again. You know, you kind of, I've, I've got that sort of like constant memory of being in my early twenties and going on these dates. And then it just kind of like playing out the future in your head and then it not working out. And that's why I love Statler because she kind of reminds me an awful lot of me when I was young. And then I'm also like, just take it a little bit more steady. You don't need to be, I don't know. Do you need to be talking about kids and your desire to have them at this point? I would say no, like, but I know how important it is for some people. So it's one of those. I think I think the emigration factor forces more serious conversations. I think if Statler were moving to the UK independently of her relationship with Dempsey and they weren't looking at moving in together, then I agree uh, completely. Uh, that they can kind of table. I mean, I I think they can table the kids' conversation anyway. I don't really. I'm very. I I should say outright. Like I'm. I'm slightly biased here because I am having kind of similar similar issues in myself and in my relationship where I'm just, or my marriage, I should say, where I'm, I'm reaching that point where, you know, the bags are packed, right? And we're either going to the station and getting on the kids train or the having another kid train, or we aren't. Um, or we're freezing eggs or freezing embryos and kicking the can another five years down the road. But decisions 
need to be made, right? These two are young enough I was going to that say, unless there's... Is, is the, sorry, sorry. The, the fundamental difference is that no. they're like super young into this relationship and they're young themselves. This isn't something that they have to consider right now. And also, you're... We're, we're, we're in we're in the situation where you don't have to have this conversation. You could just enjoy each other. And Oh, sure. The thing is that when you start having really meaty conversations like this early on, you can do kind of what Kenny and Armando are doing now as an established married couple, which is lose each other. And if you lose each other within the first six, 12 months, that's, that's a relationship over with because you haven't got any good memories to recall back to. It's all just been full of emotional drama and and tribulation. I I hear that and I don't disagree, but I think I think Statler and I are alike in that I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't be able to be in a relationship with someone without a substantial emotional investment like i'm i'm kind of all or, or nothing i'm i'm not really good at casual things and i think if if i didn't have the if i didn't have the other person's buy in that i was enough for them early on that that would be an issue for me I, I think the bigger problem is that this conversation isn't really, I think they're having two different conversations and their needs are entirely different in this conversation. Dempsey is talking about the hypothetical children she'd like to have one day and she wants Statler to be open to having children, but Statler's sharing her, adoption trauma that she's still working through and what she needs in that moment is for Dempsey to say hey I see what this has brought out in you I see what this conversation is doing to you and it's putting you in that trauma she went to a super dark place. I hope yeah I I hope that there is going to be a time down the line where you trust me enough to show you that having a family together would be a wonderful thing that would enhance our lives and not something to be feared. But for now, I'm here with you while you're in that place so that you can kind of see that emotion toward the natural end. Because all that's happening now is Statler's getting frozen again in that trauma. She's getting abandoned again. And, and this is how these kinds of relationships are sabotaged. So I think I don't have anything against Dempsey. You know, I think she's a, a sound Northern lass. I think she's a down ass bitch. Who's, who's out there, you know, making a life for herself that is in line with her core values. And I think that's great. I don't think these two are a good match because I don't think that one can give the other what they need. And that's nobody's fault. That's not because somebody failed. 
But in this situation, I really believe that if Dempsey wanted it to work, she would have the patience to, and the emotional intelligence to be like, okay, I've actually taken her to a really dark place now. And the reaction that she's having is a fear response and not a like, yeah, let's have this conversation response. I think that, I think that the thing is that if you can sit in a room one-to-one and have that kind of conversation, it's fantastic. What you've also got about in mind is, is that they have a producer, a camera person, they've got a sound guy kind of like hovering a giant furry phallus over their heads and there's <laughs> like lots of other things going on in that environment to have that kind of conversation on camera must be really difficult because there's just so many distractions especially if you're you know say someone like me where I have like chronic ADHD symptoms where you know like a fly can just appear out of nowhere and it just distracts me, knocks me off my train of thought, then like, I think I would struggle to just have like a basic civil conversation about the weather if I had a full camera team and a production staff and I was in a castle with lots of characterful things on the wall and then somebody serving me breakfast. It would be a really difficult <laughs> task. You know, I think that the reaction that, um, I think the reaction that Dempsey had was not only to the conversation, but to the conversation in that environment, slight hard drive overload and just needed to get out of there. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. That is, that's neither the time nor the place for that conversation. Um, and yet they had it for our entertainment. Thank you for your service. I also, <laughs> right? I also thought, what an odd question to ask. Like, oh, do you have vegan options for? But let you hired this castle. You rented the whole castle. Statler has thought of that ahead of time. Like, your girl has made sure that there's you know, cord mints or whatever. Actually, for those of you who are interested, La Vie makes the only vegan bacon worth eating in this country, and it is so good. They're not paying me to say that. Uh, speaking of other good breakfast outfits that are not paying me to promote them, Christian and Cleo... Talk about how he's not had a full English. He's lying. What what has he been doing the entire time he's there? I refuse to believe that. Anyway, Donut Time Donuts are extremely delicious. Um, so, you know, if you get a chance. Christian. Dearest, dearest Christian. So... Let me just let me just kind of go back to the let's let's take it back to where all the problems started. And that was the discussion with 
the production team about the sexy times because there's only there is one person that has either regrets or remorse about what happened and the other person should think that it was a totally regrettable fuck and Christian is yeah just a despicable human being I think in to use sort of queer parlance I think that he's a chaser I think that he is a white knight I think that he is a um I think that he is performatively an ally I think that he is a fucking coward I think that he wouldn't have thought twice about fucking that woman in the bar that he invited for Thanksgiving. And um, he can't have an honest conversation. We don't know that he didn't fuck that woman in the bar who was going back to Belgium. Going, Going back to that bar, right? So I was watching it and I paused it because... In that light, I thought that we were getting a crossover event. I thought that that was Statler in the bar. And then I I paused it and went, no fucking way. Are you kidding me? Is that Statler? (laughs) And then unpaused it. And it wasn't. But it would have been amazing if it had been Statler. And she'd be like, yeah, I'm not going to fuck with you. I'm also a lesbian. Peace out. Bye. But... It didn't happen. That would have like been the crossover event of the the season. But um, I just, yeah, I think that he is a thin-necked chasing coward. And for anybody at home that doesn't know what a chaser is, it's within sort of like queer and trans circles. A chaser is somebody who chases trans people for the fetishization rather than the romantic inclinations that generally talked about with a certain level of disdain because they're fetishizing a woman with a dick or no dick whatever it is they're just Mm. fixated on somebody because they are trans which is fucking shit thank you for that um it's it's really it's really useful to to talk about this relationship with a queer person because i think that there are there are facets to this relationship that and subtleties that i I don't appreciate necessarily, or I wouldn't be instinctively aware of because Cleo is trans. I, I can appreciate the subtleties that are overlooked and, and something that I'm really fucking tired of, of seeing in various corners of the internet is why do we have to, like, why does Cleo have to constantly remind everybody that she's autistic? I don't think I don't think Cleo is constantly reminding 
people that she's autistic. That hasn't been my experience. I don't think she mentions it. I think it came up in the context of, I think it, it it's come up twice. Once was going to the really loud bar in Deptford with the huge drinks where he talks to the other women who are like having a birthday party or whatever. And the second time that it came, and I'm talking about between them, not to camera, but even then it came up in the conversation about astrology when she, she kind of broke the fourth wall and was talking to the crew and it came up with the Thanksgiving thing of, yeah, I don't, I don't appreciate, you know, having somebody else come over that I'm not prepared for in my space, et cetera. I need this comfort person. Um, also, it doesn't, it, would Cleo be a fun hang? Probably not. It doesn't really matter because what's happening I think is a sanctioned uh, abusive relationship, frankly. Um, and as far as Christian goes, Christian, if you have to say over and over that you shouldn't feel guilty about doing something, you're the one who feels guilty. It's your guilt and it's your shame and you're probably feeling that guilt and shame because you're, you are doing something wrong. So stop trying to put that on other people. I think one of the things that, um, and it, it kind of, it can, it does my head in, in sort of like the circles that, that I move around in, you get this sort of, need for somebody like Christian where they are constantly asking is this the right thing to say is that the right thing to say have I said this wrong and it's one of those where it's like you can't learn allyship you're either an ally or you aren't and then you learn as you go along whether or not it's the right thing to say or not and if you're with good queer people and you have a willingness to learn then they'll correct you on the way just be as you would normally be we're not a bunch of weirdos we just are slightly different to your straight mates down the pub in so much as we might use they and them pronouns but we're still your mates down the pub and that applies the same to cleo she's a woman and that's the end of it. And um, if he has to say she's a trans woman, there is a level of otherism going on in his head, an intrinsic bias that he needs to mm -hmm. reconcile with. And I would add to that uh, definition of allyship, if I may, that being an ally also means sitting with your own discomfort and not making the demand on 
the queer person in your life to reassure you that everything that you're doing is the right thing. And, and I think that goes for all kinds of allyship. The, the least you can do as an ally is sit with your own discomfort. And I think, and validate the person sitting next to you or across from you rather than making it about making yourself comfortable, which is what, and, and I think Christian genuinely does need constant adulation and constant affirmation and, and congratulations. What I would say to Christian is, uh, yeah, welcome to the world. A lot of us need that. Most of us need that. Social media wouldn't exist or be so profitable if most of us didn't need that. But here's the thing. No woman in a bar, and I noticed that he's not talking to old ladies, right? He's not talking, nor is he talking to women of size, nor is he talking to women who aren't white. He's not taking the tour guide for an awkward beer after a tour, like um, Riley did. No. He's right. Exactly. He's he's he he has a type. Um, and the thing is, is like, and I'm probably going to offend a large proportion of the white American male audience here, right? But y'all do it. Y'all come to London, right? Y'all wear the backwards cap with the coat, which is a total mismatch. And then you walk into a place <laughs> with your American accents and think you're like exotic or something. What the actual fuck? Like, get a grip, be humble, come enjoy the place. Tell me I'm wrong, Michelle. Tell me I'm and wrong. And also, un <laughs> no, you're not. There, no lies are detected. Where's the lie? There is none. What I would add to that, to just, I won't say to straight men in general, I'll, I'll say to, to Christian and to lots of men like him, to Christian and Riley and everyone else who thinks that it's some woman's responsibility to fill whatever void is within you that makes you think that all women everywhere sitting by themselves are desperate for you to approach them and alleviate their loneliness. Women don't owe you anything. Women don't owe you polite. Women don't owe you a smile. Women don't owe you their time. Women don't owe you their company. Women don't owe you their emotional labor. Women don't owe you shit. That's the message. Highlight it and underline it and commit it to memory. Women don't owe you shit. It doesn't matter that another woman in your past took something from you or embarrassed you or made you feel small or hurt you. It doesn't matter who hurt you. It's not the next person you meet's job to clean it up. Women owe you fucking nothing, Christian. They owe you less than nothing. You owe them 
the space and time and autonomy that they need. Chances are if a woman is alone in a bar, she's either meeting someone who isn't you or she wants a break from the other fucking men who are talking at her all day. So get back on a plane. Go crawl back to the mosquito-infested hellhole from whence you came and shut the fuck up. Shut up. Are you good? Are you good? So, <laughs> so, so, in, so in conclusion, the donuts were fucking great, right? <laughs> those, do- those donuts are brilliant. Um, I, I had a, cl- I have to say that, yeah, that was for me. That was for me. Um, I know I've been criticized for, for bringing personal stuff uh, here, but you know, if you don't like it, you can listen to an, a different podcast. You don't certainly have to be here. Um, I feel like we've got, I had really, a client- we've got unnecessary, no, we've got justifiably mean in like, we've, we've kind of like just fucking gone full clip whilst Robin's been away. So apologies if this isn't your regular kind of like (laughs) not mean spirited, not snarky, not laced with, I mean, this, the F bomb count in this, this shows like through the roof. I'm going to have a great time. And you know what? We're just going to play it as it lays. It's fine. But yeah. Exactly. I was thinking about that phrase earlier today. I guess because I was thinking about it. Look, if you're um, recently bereaved, first of all, condolences. May their memory be a blessing. Uh, read Joan Didion's A Year of Magical Thinking. It helps. Come at us. Instagram at Blighty Day. I sometimes check our Twitter. I'm I'm trying to move slowly away from it. We're also what's our YouTube channel? Uh just search Blighty Day Fiance and you'll find it there. Just search Blighty Day Fiance, y'all. Patreon, patreon.com slash blighty day. It's only five dollars for the full enchilada, as it were. Cousin Dan, thank you so much for filling in for Robin. Robbleheads, do not despair. We're gonna get uh, Can, him. You know how like, well rested. You know how how Robin's got his like rubble heads. Can I have the yeah. Dynamaniacs? Absolutely. There we go. Right. Okay. Um, mine are the Michellians. I think. Sounds like a noble <laughs> and ancient race that conquered the world 18 <laughs> times over before succumbing to their own <laughs> genetic predisposition to IBS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so actually, sound off. Let us know. If you are on the Patreon, let, it, let us know all your opinions in the comments. We love interacting with you on there. Join our Discord. Uh, it's undergoing a makeover. Cousin Dan is on it. Try Um and oh yeah before i go if you don't mind awfully i am gonna share our uh listener achievement thing 
Um, unless I didn't screen grab it, which is entirely possible. No, I didn't. Okay, here we go. Uh, my name is Ashley, and you can totally use my name if I make it as a nod to the pod. I am giving myself a pat on the back for daring to go back to school to receive my MBA. My career is in human resources, and I work as a consultant, giving great advice that many people do not take. I'm proud of myself for leaving an abusive marriage, raising my kids on my own, confronting my past trauma through lots of therapy, learning to like the person I am, choosing the most incredible partner in the universe, and keep going. Life is messy and your podcast provides me a great resource of self-care because y'all make me smile and laugh. Sending you both joy, Ashley. I'm getting really emotional. Ashley, well Ashley, done. Ashley, we celebrate you. Yeah, well done. Also, like, just don't let your career define you and you'll be great. But yeah, you're awesome. Huge congratulations, Ashley. Even any one of those things takes a tremendous amount of courage and doing all of them in succession and continuing to put the work into yourself and your family and your your partner and your future is truly worthy of kadoos and and congratulations. So what a wonderful note to end the pod on. Thank you, Dan. I am going to shit my pants. Love you, cousin. I don't. <laughs> Love you too, cousin. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.